Time to find your way to a new uh, book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians. We, uh, it's been a while since we've been through an extended series. We spent some time uh, in Ecclesiastes, but uh, probably the last extended series that we went through was the book of Acts. Uh, you know how long that took us to go through. Uh, I don't expect for 1 Corinthians to take us that long, but it will take us uh, a while to go through this book. So I would encourage you to just go ahead and have it marked in your Bible. And then after a while, it'll be like Acts. It'll just, you know, your Bible will just automatically uh, flop open to uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's a good idea. Uh, 1 Corinthians doesn't have, it's not that long of a book. So it's a good idea as we go through this to just be reading ahead and make it a part of your uh, regular uh, Bible Bible reading time. We're only covering the first three verses this morning as we introduce the book, but uh, go ahead and turn there if you would, if you haven't already done so. Well, if you were if you were to define 21st century culture in America, if you were just to kind of narrow it down to a phrase or narrow it down to a few words. Maybe the words that you would come up with are kind of like the words that I came up with as I was was thinking through this. You know, we've got all this all this stuff going on with uh, in our state capitals and in the national capital, and you've got all of these kinds of things going on. And so I, I just tried to tried to sum up what is going on in our world around us in just a few words. Probably the first word that I came up with was the word divided. Another one was immoral. Another one's confused. We live in a confused age, don't we? Another one was, maybe that was because the Grammys were on this week, and certainly with the news of Kobe Bryant and all of that, was that we're obsessed with fame, aren't we? In our nation, folks are always looking for something bigger and better and new and improved. I do is walk down the grocery store aisles to see that we're obsessed with that, right? And we're certainly confused about sexuality and certainly confused about gender issues in our country today. There, there's not, a, it seems like there's not a day that goes by that we're not somehow confronted with, with one of those kinds of issues or one or more of those kinds of issues. And as we're as we go through those things and as we hear about those those things going on, it's easy to think that we're the first ones to ever have to deal with those with those issues. You know, there was a song years ago that uh, one line in it said, uh, "Jesus, don't you don't you know that it's as you look as you're looking here below, it's worse now than then." Well, I you know I haven't noticed anybody getting crucified in Asbury Square lately. So I don't know that it's worse now than then, but it is certainly prevalent. The things that we're confronted with are things that have been confronted, things that have confronted people for generations. It's because those things are sin, right? And, and sin has been an issue ever since God threw Adam and Eve out of the garden. We, we've had to be confronted with sin every generation since then. So I think even before we get started, we have to have an understanding of what sin is. Sin is not just the actions of the things that we see around us that disturb us. No, sin is rebellion against God. 
It's, it's rebelling against the God that created us. Sin is rebellion not just against God, but against His rules, against His standards, against His very created order. Sin is rebellion. And we see sin in our country. We see sin in our community. We see sin... Many of us see sin in our families and in our homes. We see sin in our neighborhoods. And sadly, we even see sin in our churches. Bottom line, if you're just to sum all of this up, you'd say things are messy, aren't they? Things are really messy. Messy in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, and they're even messy in many of our churches. As I said, we're going to start this new study in the book of 1 Corinthians. I've titled the series From Mess to Mission because that's really the drive, the thrust of the whole book is this church, this church in Corinth this is a messed up church. And Paul's writing to them because they're such a messed up church. But the point is, is not to tell them how messy they are. The point is, is to bring them through that mess, to bring them from that mess, to get them on the mission that they're supposed to be on. As I said, I have no idea how long this series is going to take, but we're going to be in it for a while. So it's just a good idea to go ahead and get yourself familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians. One thing that we're going to see as we go through this study is that the mess that we're seeing in our world today, the mess that we're seeing on our streets and in our neighborhoods, that mess is the same exact mess that was going on in Corinth at the time. In the church at Corinth, in the community at Corinth, they were, they were divided. They were dealing with immorality. They were confused about a whole lot of stuff. They were obsessed with entertainment. They were obsessed with, with the big show. They're always looking for the bigger and the better and the new and improved, and they were seriously confused about sexuality and gender. I was going to say it sounds like our newspapers today, but nobody reads newspapers. Sounds like the sounds like our timelines today, doesn't it? The church at Corinth would have fit perfectly in our world today. So what we're looking at is probably, I mean, it's just it's as contemporary as it can be especially for a letter that was written 2,000 years ago. And as we go through this, we're not going through this because, you know, all of a sudden I've looked out at our church and think that we're in some sort of a mess. No, God is doing something really special here. We're not seeing these things in our church here, but what I want us to do is I want us to learn from their scars. I want us to learn from how they were messing up and how Paul was correcting them. I want us to learn from them as we apply these divinely inspired words to the life of our church and our individual lives as we go through this. And okay, I'm going to I'm going to nag for a minute, so just hold on. The best way that we can do this is first off to make a commitment to be here every Sunday that you possibly can. Now, I realize there are some times when you're sick or something like that, but if we're going to go through this, odds are the Sunday that you plan on skipping is the Sunday that there was something in there just for you. So, 
Just plan on being here unless you're providentially hindered. So plan on being here. As I already mentioned, go ahead and read ahead so that you're familiar when the text with the text when you already get here. It's always a good idea to know what this is going to be about before we get here, right? Take notes if that's helpful to you. You've seen in the bulletin over the last several weeks that, that there's been an insert in there, and I know that several of you have ordered those First uh, Corinthian, First Corinthians uh, Scripture journal uh, journal things. This is the last Sunday we're going to run that insert. If you'd like to order one, uh, just go ahead and let me know, and we'll get it on order and get it here. That that will help you take notes. If you're not a note taker, if it's a hindrance to you to take notes, then you know that's your personal deal. But with most of us, it helps be able to do that. And the last thing that will really help you get the most out of this study is to be here on Sunday nights. Now, I I say that we're not going to have our New Life Corps uh, this evening, not because of the Super Bowl, because I'm not going to be here. Um, But on, um, on most Sunday nights, that's what we spend the majority of our time doing, is we take what we talked about here and answer questions, we flesh it out, we discuss, we have an open an open dialogue, an open discussion about the text. It takes our understanding of it to the next level. So make a plan to be here on those Sunday nights. Not tonight, <laughs> but on the rest of those Sunday nights. So there's those things that we need to do, that we need to set out on this journey prepared to do. But listen, most of all, what we need to prepare and, and tell ourselves that we're going to do is that we're going to do something with what we hear. We're not just going to be hearers of the Word. As the book of James says, we need to be doers also. So there are some things that we're going to confront as we go through this study, as we go through these, uh, through these different sermons. There are some things that are, going to, that are going to cut us to the quick. I know in my study of preparing for this already. There are things that the Lord has already exposed in my heart. Well, we can't just let that go to the side. We can't treat this like some sort of an academic exercise. No, this is the Word of the living God. And He's given it to us so that we can be changed. So that we can be made more like Him. But that will only happen if we become doers of the Word and not just hearers only. So put what you hear into practice as we go along. Okay, so seeing I lost my place. So with all that uh, with all that being said, let's just go ahead and get started by taking a look at the author of this letter. Look at verse 1 with me, if you will. Verse 1 says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. By the way, he brings up Sosthenes there. Sosthenes is not one of the authors of the letter. It's not like they co-authored it or anything, but Sosthenes was traveling with him, was uh, was with him at Ephesus while he was writing this. The author of this letter is Paul, the Apostle Paul. So we know who wrote it. It just says it as plain as it can be. And for those of you who were with us when we went through our big, long study through the book of Acts, you're very familiar with who the Apostle Paul is. You probably have a really good idea of who he was. Remember that Paul was the last apostle of Jesus. No matter what labels some people might like to put on themselves now, the last real apostle 
was Jesus, I mean, was, was Paul. The qualifications to be an apostle was that you had to see the living, resurrected Lord and you had to be given Scripture to write. You had been had given direct revelation to write Scripture. So Paul was the last one that ha- that, that happened to well, Wait a minute. Paul wasn't with the with the rest of them that walked with Jesus while he was alive, so how could he qualify? Well, he qualified because Jesus uniquely and specially appeared to him on the road to Damascus and called him out. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, we'll, we'll see how Paul describes his conversion. He describes his, his call and he describes himself as one who was untimely born. In other words, he says that he was born as he created to be an apostle outside of the time frame of the rest of the apostles. And after God called him, after God set him aside as an apostle, he set out to proclaim the gospel mainly to Gentiles. He would start with the Jews, but he would mainly preach to the Gentiles. And he traveled all over the known world at that time. And we saw that through the through the missionary journeys of Acts as we went as we went through there. He would go to these different towns and he would proclaim the gospel and out of that, out of the people that got saved in those towns, churches would be planted. The book of Acts tells us about three of those missionary journeys, three of those church planting trips that he took before he ended up as a prisoner in Rome. It was on his second missionary journey that he planted the church at Corinth. He planted that church at Corinth along with the Aquila and Priscilla, folks that you see uh, throughout that second missionary journey in particular. And Silas and Timothy and others were involved in that church plant. Now that's homework that you can do before the pregame shows. Is you can go back to Acts 18 and you can read about how the church at Corinth was planted. Now I know since we already went through that as sermons, I know you've already got that memorized and everything, but it's a good idea to go back and refresh, right? So go back to Acts 18 and, and look at that uh, in, your, in your free time at home. But here's, here's the thing. When he planted that church at Corinth, he didn't just plant the church and immediately leave. No, he was there in Corinth and pa- actually pastored that church for over, at least over a year and a half. We know for sure a year and a half, but probably some time over that. And during that year and a half, he stayed there and he, and he pastored them. Pastor is the same word, comes from the same word that means shepherd. So he was shepherding that flock at Corinth. He, he, was, he was caring for them. He poured his life into them for a little over a year and a half. And after being their pastor, after shepherding them, for a year and a half, he moved on to Ephesus. And he was at Ephesus for three years. But while he was at the church at Ephesus, he heard of these things that were going on in Corinth, probably because they had written him. But he heard of these things that were going on in Corinth, and he wrote letters back to them. So he wrote these letters to Corinth while he was pastoring during that three years that he was pastoring in Ephesus. In chapter 5, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians, it makes it clear that 1 Corinthians was not Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. That'll really get you confused. Right? 1 Corinthians was really 2 Corinthians, but don't focus on that. That'll blow your mind. 
the letter that we have in Scripture was the, the letter that we have in Scripture as 1 Corinthians was at least the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Now, why don't we have that letter in our Bible? Because God didn't want it there. It was a letter that Paul wrote specifically to that church at that time, and that was all it was supposed to be there for. Otherwise, God would have preserved it for our Scripture. One day if somebody digs a hole in the ground and they come up with a letter and they say, hey, this is Paul's first letter to Corinth, so we need to add it to our Bible. We say no. Even if it is authentic, it wasn't intended for this closed canon of Scripture. So what we have, this letter to the church at Corinth, we know it was Paul's second letter, but this is the first letter that was intended for Scripture. Now I said all that. Some of y'all are glazing over and you're thinking, why in the world did, did we go over all that? I said all that just to, just to let us know, just to remind us that Paul wasn't some stranger to them. They knew Paul. And Paul knew them. They had a relationship with each other. They had sat under his teaching and preaching. They had the advantage. They had the benefit of sitting under that. They, they, I mean, Paul started that church. They were obviously started off on the right foot. But what Paul did, all he had to do in his introduction was he gave his name. Then he reminded them of who called him. And after he reminded them of who called him, then he reminded them of what God called, called him to do. That was all he did. So that's the author of the letter. So who was his original author, his original audience? Look at verse 2. He says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, I already mentioned that Paul was the one who started the church at Corinth, and during his year and a half there, you know that he got them started off on the right foot. You know that he taught them well during that year and a half. But just because a church starts off right doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way, does it? Matter of fact, we get to see how quickly they went off the rails from how they were started. Let's just get real for a minute. Just because things are going really well for us right now at Parkview doesn't mean that they're going to stay that way. Right, we can sit here and we can be thankful to the Lord for all the wonderful things that He's doing in our midst. But just because those things are happening that way now doesn't mean that they have to continue that way. As a matter of fact, because we live in a sin-scarred, sin-marred, really, really messed up world, the natural drift is to go from what's happening well toward chaos. The natural drift is always toward chaos. That's why we got to be on guard, folks. That's why we can't just puff up and say, we got to be on our knees. Amen? we got to be on our knees. we got to be on guard. That's why we constantly have to be watching our course and correcting our course. 
Right? See, Corinth, they had gone so far off course that the adjustment was going to be huge. We need to be continually, just like you do in your car, you're continually doing that to keep it on the road. Or if you're in McDowell County, you're doing that. <laughs> but we need to be continually making those little course corrections so that we always stay that we always keep out of the mess, that we keep out of the chaos. See, the church at Corinth didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I think we ought to descend into complete chaos today. They didn't make a motion at a business meeting to say, okay, I make a motion that we forget everything that Paul taught us and then we just start doing things our own way. No, it was slow. It was almost imperceptible over time. You ever seen how a crack grows in your windshield? You know, you're driving down the road and you hear that pop when a rock hits your windshield um, and you try not to think bad things in your head. Um, well, if you just ignore that, that little, that little star, that little chip in your windshield, what happens to it? Next time you look at it, it's that long. Next time you look at it, it's that long. And then the next thing you know, it has grown slowly until instead of a little minor repair being needed to fix it, you need to replace the whole thing. See, apparently with the first letter, as near as we can tell with the first letter that we don't have in Scripture, apparently what Paul was trying to do was he was trying to fix the problems while they were still small. But they didn't listen, did they? They didn't listen. They ignored what he taught them. Even worse, they used his words from his first letter as an opportunity to try to discredit him. To try to not just ignore him, but try to undermine him and his ministry. Here's the reality. Whether as an individual or as a church, when we are confronted by our sin, we've got two choices. That's, all, that's the only thing we have. When we're confronted with our sin, we have two choices. Either the first choice is we'll try to justify our sin just so that we can make it acceptable to continue in it, or we'll reject our sin and turn to Christ and turn to how He wants us to be. Allow the Holy Spirit to change us. Either we'll try to change the nature of sin or we'll allow God to change us. The church at Corinth, they were in full-fledged, sin-denying, self-justification mode. And we'll see that as we go through the letter over the next several weeks. But for now, suffice it to say, just they were a really messed up church. They were about as messed up as you could get. They started off well but they drifted. They lost focus. Matter of fact, they didn't just lose focus. They turned their focus inward. They allowed pride and arrogance and selfishness to, to start to take root. They began to place their own personal wants, their own personal desires, their own tastes, their own preferences. They begin to elevate those over the wants and needs and preferences and desires of others. They begin to be the church of what I want to happen. 
They emphasized their rights. They focused on what I deserve, what my rights are. They were determined to exercise those rights at all costs. In other words, they were a mess. But look at how Paul addresses them here in verse 2. Just continue on in that same verse. He said that the church at Corinth is the church of God. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. They're a mess, but he still reminded them that they're the church of God. What a reminder that is, isn't it? Well, here at Parkview, we need to remind ourselves of that. No? We're, we're not a collection of self-focused individuals. We are not our own. This church doesn't belong to us. Amen? This is God's church. We're gathered here as a church, but we're not gathered here as our church. Now, I realize when we talk, it's good to, you know, to enjoy our church and to talk to people about our church. But when that begins to move from thinking of it just as a collective thing to thinking of it as a pride thing, we've gone off track. This isn't our church. This is God's church. You know, we might have we might have paid for different things, whatever in the church, paid to keep the lights on and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus paid for this thing with His blood. It's His church. It's God's church. So this isn't about being the church of the things that I like or the things that I want or the things that you like or the things that you want. No, this is the church of the things that God wants gathered here because God has gathered us here in His church. Amen? The church at Corinth was the church of God. Parkview, Parkview Baptist Church is the church of God. So that's the first thing we see in here in verse 2. The second thing is that, that Paul said that they were the church of God in Corinth. Okay, that's obvious, right? But think about what Paul's saying here. He's not addressing this to some universal, some ethereal concept of a universal church out there with no walls or no address. No, he's addressing it to a very specific local church with a specific address in a specific community. A local church. A local church just like Parkview Baptist Church. You know, we're not, God didn't place us here by accident. We're not in this community by accident. No, we have our local address for a specific reason and a specific purpose. We need to understand that these these blessings, these instructions, all of these things that we'll see in this letter of 1 Corinthians, they can only happen in the context of a local gathered body of believers. A local gathered body of believers who, who have covenanted together with the same beliefs, the same ideas, the same purpose that have covenanted together as a family. Am I saying that you have to be a member of a local church to be a Christian? Of course I'm not saying that. But what I am saying 
Of course, I'm not saying that because you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to God's word alone, for God's glory alone. That's a whole lot of alones, right? There's nothing in there about having to be a church member, a covenant with part of a church to be saved. So I'm not saying that you have to be a, a covenanted church member to be a Christian, but what I am saying is that if you are saved, you're going to long to gather in service with like-minded believers in the context of a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching local church. God builds that desire in His children. He didn't save us to sit out there alone and to be part of a sampler platform. If you're saved and you don't have that desire, you need to ask yourself why. You need to check your heart. And when you ask yourself why, see if your reasons are biblical or see if they're just excuses. I can give you the answer, but I want you to do that yourself. Okay, so that's second. Third, he said that they were sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified. Sanctified, that's one of those fancy theological words. You read that and you think, well, I, okay, i got to see what the seminary books say. But it's it, really, we, we don't typically use that in conversations, and it has a rich and it has a full theological meaning. But if you, if you boil it down to its most essential meaning, at its core, being sanctified, it carries the idea of being set apart by God for His purposes. So when you're sanctified, you're set apart for His purposes. In the Old Testament, we see the picture of that, the picture that pointed to sanctification and salvation. The picture was in, in the tabernacle. And in the, in the tabernacle, there were all of these you know, candlesticks and bowls and all of these things that were, that were handcrafted, these beautiful, uh, ornate items. But they weren't holy until they'd been sprinkled with blood. And as soon as they were sprinkled with the blood of an innocent, they were set aside only for use in the worship of God. Okay, that's the picture that we have when we talk about sanctification in our salvation. When we're saved at the very moment of our salvation, we're washed in the blood of Christ. And because we're washed in the blood of Christ, we're set aside for His holy purposes. So we're sanctified in Him. And when we covenant together as baptized believers in the local church, we as a church are set aside for God's holy purposes. We're not set aside as some social club or some just gathering. No, we're set aside specifically for God's holy purposes because we're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Fourth, he said that they were called to be saints together with all those who in every place call <coughs> Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and, uh, and ours. <coughs> Excuse me. So he's already made it clear that when you're saved, you're saved to be in the community of a local church. So what's he talking about here? Is he, is he being redundant here? No, what he's talking about is that local churches aren't sitting out here on an island by ourselves. Now, local church... Local churches exist to be in cooperation with other like-minded churches. There's cooperation, right? You hear it here all the time. 
Paul had been planting churches all over the place. He was in Ephesus and he was writing to Corinth and he was reminding the church at Corinth that they weren't alone. That all the stuff that they're going through, somebody else had been going through stuff like that, so they needed to be in cooperation to accomplish the mission that God had given them. The mission that God has given us here at Parkview is far bigger than anything that we can accomplish by ourselves. So we need to be. We were created to be in cooperation. Okay, so we've met the author of the letter. We've met the messed up audience of the letter. But I want you to notice how Paul addressed them. As messed up as they were, look at verse 3 and see how he addresses them. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) If anybody needed to be chewed out, it was the church at Corinth. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations where where a pastor gets up and just chews out a church. I've been in those on the receiving end, and it ain't fun. And if, But if anybody deserved that, the church of Corinth deserved to be chewed on for a little bit. But Paul didn't do that, did he? Now later on, as you go through the letter, he's going he's gonna, to... Uh, He's going to tell them how the cow eats the cabbage. <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll tell them some pretty direct stuff. But here at the beginning, here as he starts off his letter, he wants to remind them what his desire is for them. You know, they've not been showing much grace to each other. As we go through, we'll see how they had not been showing grace to each other. But even though they hadn't been showing grace to each other, he wants them to know grace. And they certainly didn't have any peace. They'd been fighting and feuding and fussing a lot, setting up these different camps, arguing against each other and all that kind of stuff. But he wanted them to know peace. He says, you don't have, you're not showing grace and you don't have peace, but I want you to know grace and peace. And right off the bat, he reminds them, the only place that you're going to find that grace and peace is from God our Father the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in this letter, when Paul's talking about the health of the local church, he doesn't tell them, he doesn't give them a bunch of marketing suggestions about how they can grow their church. He didn't give them some leadership lessons to help them facilitate change and manage conflict and all those kind of things. He isn't even on an individual level giving them self-help advice about how to have better marriages and raise better kids. No, he tells them same thing that the Lord's telling us this morning. The deepest need that you and I have in our lives is to have peace with the God who created you. And the only way that you can have peace with the God who created you is by the grace of Jesus Christ. So what are we supposed to do with this? We've heard a three-verse introduction. What, what are we supposed to take home with this? First, first thing you need to take home is you need to understand that church can be messy, but you're called to be an active part of it anyway. See, God hasn't called you. I, I don't know how many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl this evening, but God hasn't called you to participate in church like you're going to participate in the Super Bowl sit back with a bunch of snacks and watch what's going on up front. 
God hasn't called us to participate in church like that. No, God has called each and every one of you to get in the game. Each and every one of us to actually get in the game. That means that He's called you to actively be committed to attending. He's called you to actively be committed to giving. He's called you to actively be committed to serving. And He's called you to actively be committed to ministering. We've got all these folks in the church that are out sick and all that kind of stuff. It's our job as a church to minister to them. Covenant together with the other members of this church. And you can start that process today. Second, the mission that God has set us apart for can definitely be messy. But you're called to be a part of accomplishing it anyway. See, when Jesus saved you, He didn't just save you to give you a ticket to heaven. Yes, we are thrilled that we get to be in heaven one day with Jesus. But He's left us here in the meantime. That means that He saved you and given you a, a job to do. He set, he set us aside for His purposes so that we can be used for Him. And the purpose that He outlines in the New Testament is that He's given each of us the responsibility to be His witnesses. Now, I don't know how He's how He's calling you, how He's directing you to be His witness. That might be that might be in the in the vocational ministry. It might be as a as a pastor. It might be as a teacher. It might be as a missionary. But more than likely, He's set you aside for the purposes of being His witness in the everyday life that He's given you, in the circles that He has placed you in the things that you're already doing. See, God's put you where you are for a reason, just like He's put this church where we are for a reason. He's put you in the place where He's put you for a reason, whether you like it or not. He wants you to be on mission where He's already placed you. Are you doing that? Are you being a missionary to your school, to your home, to your workplace? your neighborhood, your family. That's what He's set us aside to do. Third, cooperation with other churches can be very messy, but you're called to help us make that happen anyway. This afternoon, while uh, you know, I say we're not going to be having our new life, our new life core, uh, you all know that I haven't canceled that for the Super Bowl before. It just happened to fall on Super Bowl Sunday. But the reason that we're not having new life core this evening, for one thing, our ladies are all going to be full from the soup and all that stuff that they're having. But uh, the main reason is that right after church, I'm going to get in the car with Alan Thompson, pray for me or pray for Alan, I don't know, but uh, with our director of missions, and we're going to head to Mount Airy, North Carolina, where we get to be part of an ordination service for a young man named Chad Hooker. Chad Hooker, I've, you know, if you've been in the prayer meetings and different things, we've talked about Chad and how that relationship happened and and all of that. He has been a student at Fruitland Baptist Bible College, which is funded by uh, North Carolina cooperative dollars, right? So that's a cooperative thing. Um, And we went there and we met him and talked to him and, and took him all around the area. And through that, God called him and his family to be pastor at one of our churches that has been without a pastor for six years in war, Calvary Baptist Church in war. 
Now, Gary Pennington has been a wonderful, faithful interim there for six years, but the fact is, is that's a long commute from Bluefield to War, and they need a pastor there in town. Well, who in the world is going to respond to an ad to come be the bivocational pastor in War, West Virginia? Nobody, unless God calls, right? And God used the cooperation between a college that's funded by Baptist dollars and relationships with our church and our association to meet him so that he can pastor another one of our sister churches in the area. See how God does cooperation? Now it's messy. Anytime that you get a, a button, I mean, it's messy enough in one church. When you get a bunch of churches together, it can be really messy. It can be like herding cats. What? God calls us to that. And He calls not just me to be in relationship with these folks, He calls each of us to do what we can and where we can in those kinds of relationships. We're going to have all kinds of opportunities to cooperate with other churches. Some that we don't even know how that's going to work out yet. But we're, we're going to, sometime later this year and into next year, we're going to be doing some door-to-door survey work in some of our communities. I, I'd love for us as individuals in this church to be part of those things. We might even get the chance to partner with another church to take a mission trip to Puerto Rico sometime this spring, summer. They've been doing it for a while, and they invited us to come along with them. See, cooperation is is messy, but we're called to make that happen anyway. We've got churches in our area that desperately need to be revitalized, brought to new life, or even maybe replanted, started over again. They can't do that on their own. We need to cooperate. And we always have opportunities to cooperate with other churches uh, in our work with the Bland Ministry Center. And like we talked about last week with Able Pregnancy Resource Center, those things don't happen because of one church. They happen because of a cooperation of churches partnering together. Are you taking advantage of those opportunities or are you just sitting back and saying, oh, I'm so glad that somebody is doing this? If you don't get anything else here this morning, I want you to get this. Your life can be messy and the only one who can give you grace and peace in the middle of it is Jesus. Think about it this way. Jesus became a bloody mess for you on the cross so that you can have grace and peace in the middle of the bloody mess of your life. Do you believe that? Have you accepted that? Have you accepted His free gift of grace? Have you handed over control of your life, control of your messy life that you're trying to string together? Have you handed control of that over to Jesus? Are you an active covenant member of a local church? Are you on mission in all the unique places of influence that God has given you? Well, the answer to any of those questions is no. And today's the day to get started. 
Today's the day to say yes to those. Trust Jesus. Start with that. Trust Jesus, then follow Him in believer's baptism, and then start the process of becoming a covenant member, I would say, of this church. I can't think of a better one. Start the process to become a covenant member, and then commit to being on mission, whatever that means, however God would lead you in that. Whether that means being in mission in praying more for missionaries or giving more to missionaries or whether that means being on mission in whatever circle God has placed you. Being a faithful witness wherever you are. Whatever God's calling you to do. Quit worrying about the mess and just do it. 